I get asked almost weekly, Chris, what scares you the most about financial markets? They ask, Chris, what is your biggest worry about the future of capital markets? What keeps you awake at night? Is there a black swan out there? To which I almost always reply, I worry about everything. That's why I'm bald. It's part of any CEO or portfolio manager's job worrying for our clients. However, when pressed, I do have a lingering concern about the Federal Reserve's balance sheet that many people have yet to discuss. I'm Chris Paris with Oak Harvest Financial in Houston, Texas, and welcome to our weekly Stock Talk podcast. Before we get into this week's topic titled the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, what keeps me awake at night? Please take a moment to click on the subscribe button and click on the notification bell so you'll be alerted when our team uploads our latest content. We've covered the Federal Reserve's balance sheet in its expansion and contraction for over the last three years now at Oak Harvest. We've discussed numerous times its apparent beneficial impact during expansions on asset prices and the general difficulty risk assets have had during periods of portfolio runoff and shrinkage. While equities have struggled in the past, they still have eventually been able to hit new all-time highs. Case in point, the Fed's balance sheet shrunk throughout 2018 and 2019, and it was a tough road filled with volatility. However, the market still made new all-time highs. Take a look at the Fed balance sheet versus the S&P 500 from the St. Louis Federal Reserve Board's website. The explosion in the Fed's balance sheet under QE4, or the fourth round of quantitative easing, which was a monetary program used to offset the COVID lockdowns, is apparent on the graph. Post-COVID, the Fed's balance sheet expanded from 3.8 trillion, or about 15 to 18% of US GDP pre-COVID in March 2020, to a peak of around 8.9 trillion a few weeks ago, which is about 36 to 38% of US GDP. The Fed and other central banks used QE to stimulate economies when policy interest rates were near or below zero and interest rates couldn't effectively be lowered below that. The Fed now owns about 5.76 trillion in treasury bonds and 2.72 trillion of MBS, which are mortgage-backed securities. The Fed planned to reduce its 8.9 trillion balance sheet beginning June 1st, when it would no longer reinvest proceeds of about 30 billion in maturing treasury securities and 17.5 billion in maturing agency MBS per month. Beginning September 1st, those caps will rise to about 60 billion and 35 billion respectively for a maximum potentially balance sheet roll-off of $95 billion per month. The worry for me and the potential problems down the road, whose timing I can't claim to foresee yet, is how big are the Fed's current losses on their balance sheet? Will they ever be reported and who's responsible for them. A recent estimate by the American Enterprise Institute places the current estimated unrecognized losses on the Fed's balance sheet as of a month ago at around $540 billion in losses. That's billions with a B in losses on a portfolio of bonds. Almost half a trillion in losses in barely six months. This loss seems a sensible estimate as of mid-June as the weighted average maturity of an eight-year treasury was down about minus nine percentage points. And the MBS indexes were down almost 11.5% on the year. Of course, this loss will likely get even bigger if the Fed keeps raising rates. Recall the Fed was buying these treasuries and mortgages in mid-2020 
through mid-first half of 2021, when the yield on the 10-year Treasury was about half a percent to one and a half percent. The 10-year yield now sits at 3%. This is over half a trillion dollars in unrealized loss is more than 13 times the Federal Reserve System's consolidated capital of $41 billion. Here's a snapshot of the Fed's balance sheet, including its paid-in capital by its member banks of $41.7 billion. Let that sink in for a moment. Yes, it's the Fed, and yes, they can turn on the money printing press. But think about that. The Fed is now margined or leveraged 210 times to one. What would this look like in the public world we live in? It would look like this. If you're buying a million dollar house, you could put up less than $5,000 of your own money. It would be you going out and buying and trading a million dollars worth of stocks with only $5,000 worth of collateral. How risky would that be? Well, if you were to go out and do this trade, you would be insolvent or wiped out entirely by a price decline of only 0.5%. Not 5% or 50%, but half of 1%. You'd be wiped out. You'd be out of business. You'd be foreclosed on. You'd be margined out, repossessed, bankrupt, liquidated. That's terrifying to me. And one half of 1% move wipes you out for good. Of course, unlike regulated banks or everyday people like you and me, no matter how big the losses are that the Fed may face, it won't fail. Why? Because they can always continue to print money even if it is insolvent. Even if it is unrealized losses exceed its capital. But here's where it gets interesting and more concerning to me. According to the Federal Reserve Act of 1913, Fed losses should impact its shareholders, who are the commercial bank members of the 12 district Federal Reserve Banks. These member banks must purchase shares issued by the Federal Reserve District Bank. The Federal Reserve Act of 1913 says that member banks only pay for half of the required share purchases, while the remaining half is subject to call by the board member banks and is required to fund any district reserve bank annual operating loss. This is not optional to member banks. The term that is used is shall. There's not a may term used in this act. The same group of the American Enterprise Institute has calculated that with interest rates rising, the Fed will begin reporting net operating losses once short-term rates exceed around 2.7%. And that's without recognizing what would be ongoing portfolio losses at that level. With higher interest rates, the Fed is in the duly horrific position of having massive mark-to-market investment losses. At the same time, it would have ongoing negative operating losses. It would have operating losses because the Fed would be paying out higher interest rates on both bank reserves and reverse repurchases while its own balance sheet was invested in low-yielding fixed-rate debt. If or when the Federal Reserve is forced to comply with the Federal Reserve Act of 1913 and assess its commercial bank members and shareholders for its operating losses, it would almost certainly impact both domestic and global monetary policies. Passing Fed operating losses onto its member banks could create pressure to avoid losses by eliminating the interest rate paid to member banks or discouraging the Fed's balance sheet runoff. Worse yet, if the Fed's losses were passed on to its members, some banks may face capital calls and issues themselves. Some might be forced to issue equity to help recapitalize the Fed's capital account. According to a 2020 article in the Institutional Investor Magazine, Citibank held about 43% of the New York Fed Reserve Bank shares. 
JP Morgan, they held about 29.5%, with those two accounting for almost three quarters of the total New York Fed shareholder base. Morgan Stanley owned about 3.7%, Goldman Sachs about 4%, and Bank of New York Mellon owned about 3.5%. Believe it or not, there are also several foreign shareholders of the New York Fed Bank, the largest being HSBC at around 6%. Fall things went south in a bad way with the Fed's balance sheet liquidation. Under the strict interpretation of the Fed Reserve Act of 1913, all of these publicly traded companies might be forced or required to contribute additional capital into the Federal Reserve to cushion its capital against losses. You want to worry about a replay of the great financial crisis of 2008 or 9 or worse? You want me to write a nightmare financial black swan for our domestic banking system for this coming decade? This might be a great place to start. The Fed's current balance sheet losses and potential future operating losses. Our team here at Oak Harvest knows that the first half of 2022 has been a trying time for those in the equity and bond markets who are not trading oriented. The sustained volatility year to date is a harsh reminder to investors that stocks don't always go up. Remember, unlike insurance markets and those tools, there are no guarantees in public equity markets. The Oak Harvest team knows that sharp market moves drive the emotions and urge to make changes to what are supposed to be longer-term asset allocations work through with your advisor. If the ongoing market volatility is making you feel uneasy, give us a call and schedule a meeting with an Oak Harvest advisor. Our team does have insurance-based tools that don't have the volatility of the public markets. However, viewers, I remind you that these investments might also have lower long-term expected returns. At Oak Harvest, we think our clients are best served by us helping them plan for their future needs instead of focusing on the past. The future and the stock markets are always uncertain, and that's why our retirement planning teams plan for your retirement needs first and your greed second. Give us a call to speak to an advisor and let us help you craft a financial plan that helps you meet your retirement goals. Call us here at 877-896-0040 and schedule an advisor consultation. We are here to help you on your financial journey into and through your retirement years. I'm Chris Parrish from the whole team here at Oak Harvest. Have a great weekend. All content contained within Oak Harvest Podcast expresses the views of the speaker and is for informational purposes only. It is based on information believed to be reliable when created, but any cited data, indicators, statistics, or other sources are not guaranteed. The views and opinions expressed herein may change without notice. Strategies and ideas discussed may not be right for you, and nothing in this podcast should be considered as personalized investment, tax or legal advice, or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell securities. Indexes such as the S&P 500 are not available for direct investment and your investment results may differ when compared to an index. Specific portfolio actions or strategies discussed will not apply to all client portfolios. Investing involves the risk of loss and past performance is not indicative of future results.